The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This week's episode is sponsored by Neuro. Neuro makes functional gum and mints that help you better your mind and do more. Launched by athletes with backgrounds in neuroscience and chemistry, they imagined health supplements you could easily carry around in your pocket and take on the go throughout the day instead of having to gulp down a bunch of pills in the morning. The great thing is these patented cold compressed gum and mints are gluten-free, sugar-free, vegan, and work a lot faster than drinks and supplements. They're loved by Olympians, engineers, academics, fitness heads, and creatives like you and me stuck at home staring at the screen. The energy and focus products have been shown to improve brain performance in a pilot study out of the Harvard Innovation Lab. And the new Calm and Clarity line uses ingredients scientifically shown to reduce stress and stabilize mood. Because they're gum and mints, they're easy to carry, taste great, and give you fresh breath. I honestly love them because... They take the stress out of having to brew or find that cup of coffee or tea during the lull in the day that we could all use a boost. Head over to getneuro.com to order and better your state of mind now. That's G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com. Getneuro.com. Use the code WRITER to get 15% off your first order today. I suppose writing, like any art form or any activity really done well, is when you actually discover something about yourself and you feel slightly bigger than you were because you didn't know that thing was there. So it's kind of like a, a journey into part of a dream world of imagination. And um, that's, that's the stuff I, I really like. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed, sending you positivity, productivity, and prosperity per usual. And I'm cooking up some extras for fans of the show in the coming weeks you won't want to miss, including the option to have episodes, extras, and added insights delivered straight to your inbox, and maybe even some Writer Files merch on the way. Hit me up on Twitter with suggestions at Kelton Reed, and that link is on writerfiles.fm. This week, internationally best-selling author Matt Haig spoke with me about how the novelist became an accidental mental health expert, why writers need resilience, and the success of The Midnight Library. Matt's the author of 20 books, including the number one best-selling memoir, Reasons to Stay Alive, five novels, including How to Stop Time, and several award-winning children's books. 
His work's been translated into over 40 languages. His latest is Midnight Library, a runaway number one bestseller and reader favorite of 2020. It was a Goodreads Choice Awards Best of Fiction Book of 2020, a Best Book of the Year by the Washington Post, Amazon, the New York Public Library, and many others. The New York Times said of the book, an absorbing vision of limitless possibility, new roads taken, new lives lived, of a whole different world available to us somehow, somewhere, perhaps exactly what's wanted in these troubled and troubling times. In this file, Matt and I discussed his superhero origins and the blog post that became a book. How to write like no one's watching. Inconsistent routines and the power of deadlines. Why writers need to surprise themselves. How he got Oscar-nominated actress Carrie Mulligan to record his audiobook and more. Stay calm and write on. And stay tuned for a clip from the Midnight Library audiobook after the interview, excerpted courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, read by the very talented Carrie Mulligan. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Yes, we are back on The Writer Files and I am honored today to be joined by a very special guest. I have bestselling author Matt Haig. How are you surviving, sir? I'm okay, actually. I, I, I'm okay. Well, I'm in the, uh, the south coast of England at the moment, and the sun is streaming through the window, which is very rare for February. And <laughs> it, we haven't got any of your um, crazy American weather at the moment. And yeah, no, it, it's okay. I'm, I'm. It's one of those days where you don't really know why um, you're having a good day, other than to talk to you, Kelton, obviously. <laughs> but it, it's just, you know, the universe is in temporarily temporary alignment and all things are good, despite obviously still being in the midst of pandemics and lockdowns here. We're still in lockdown, but um, yeah, I'm feeling quite good in myself. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I know you're a busy man and um, I can't wait to talk all things writing. And of course, the paperback of the Midnight Library uh, just came out. So we're lucky to get some time to spend with you and and yeah, I want to pick your brain. Um, so let's do the kind of the cliff's notes of your winding path to internationally best-selling <laughs> author. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've spent some yeah. time with your nonfiction books, um, Reasons to Stay Alive um, yep. and others. And it's interesting, you know, with with the Midnight Library being this, this fictional um tale told from a you know, completely different point of view but um yeah kind of wind back a clock a little bit for us and give us your superhero origin story because you know going back to reasons <laughs> to stay alive in that memoir um you know you kind of talk about this yeah. time when you weren't a writer absolutely and it's been a long a long trek i mean just to give you some context the midnight library is it makes me feel so old um, but it, it's book number 20. Now, a lot of those books, um, well, then it's not just adult books for a start. I've, I've also written children's books and I've written nonfiction, as you say. And a lot of those books early on weren't um, particularly, uh, you know, they weren't read or widely known. But yes, technically it is 20 um, books, including fiction and nonfiction. So mm. it has been a long 
winding path and this superhero origin story there is no sort of single moment there's no react radioactive spider <laughs> moment <laughs> biting me uh, I, I suppose if there is one i mean re- that book you mentioned reasons to stay alive that in the uk in my country that was kind of a turning point um for me which was quite interesting because um up until that point i'd been writing fiction so this was the first time i'd put me in a book and um i was very apprehensive about it i had only written that book that was the first time i'd written a book because i was asked to write a book Hmm. um and it wasn't by my publisher it was it was by a friend who happened to work in publishing but she wasn't my publisher. She just thought, um, you know, it'd be a good thing. I, 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 because I'd, I'd written a blog, basically, and that blog had been called Reasons to Stay Alive, and it was just a one-off blog, and it had quite a good reaction, and she was one of the people who read it. And she said, oh, have you thought about turning this into a book? And I um, hadn't, um, I, partly because I'd, I wouldn't know how to do it, because... Uh, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't a celebrity. So I thought, you know, where, where's the interest in this? You know, my experience of uh, mental health issues, you know, it's not particularly unique or that extreme. Yes, I was suicidal for a while. And so and she says, yeah, but that's kind of the point, you know, it'll be more relatable because it, it it's within the ballpark of quite a lot of people's um, experience who've had mental health difficulties. And, and so she slowly talked me into it. And, and, but and I wrote that book like almost as if no one was watching, as if um, mm. as if no one would read it, and uh, because partly because I thought no one would really read it because I um, my publishers when I'd mentioned it to them and I had a reasonable success before with a book called The Humans. It wasn't a bestseller or anything, but it had gone down well with the people who'd read it and stuff. And um, I felt in a relatively safe position with the publisher. But even so, they were not enamored of the idea of me switching to nonfiction, of me suddenly talking about myself and talking about mental health. And they said, why don't you just turn it into a novel and do this? But I I held my guns and, um, you know, got paid significantly less to write it. But I still thought, you know, this is going to find a certain readership and it might be of use to people. Um, And then it just sort of, that was the book that took off. You know, I I got a bit lucky with a few sort of radio hits in, in the UK and stuff. But generally, that was kind of an organic word of mouth thing, and it happened slowly. It was a slow burn, mm-hmm. and it it just sort of grew and grew and grew. So it was the opposite trajectory to the normal path where you you get published, you have a little bit of a marketing blitz or whatever, and then it's a sort of decline. This this the graph, the line was sort of going upwards with it, which was a very unusual feeling. And it was a very nice feeling after being um, a struggling writer at the coalface for a long time. But the only problem was that because it was this book and not that book and not a novel it threw me for two reasons one because i saw myself as a novelist and i wanted my my novels to be um big and being read and out there and also because yeah i I suddenly felt very exposed i suddenly became after having always identified myself as sort of a an author as a novelist is i was suddenly like put forward as mental health expert and people (laughs) were emailing me with a problem so i was like it was a very bittersweet uh, moment and the kind of be careful what you wish for moment where you know I, I almost had a mental health dip around the time of that being published because I was like well I should be happy because we've got this successful book da, 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 da. Yeah. and this is what I've wanted and but because it was that particular book I felt very exposed and uh, it took me I'm, I'm still very glad I wrote that book uh, for all kinds of reasons I don't think it's my best book by any means but I, I'm glad I put it out there but yeah, it was a very 
interesting transition. Um, you know, and, and my, aside from that, aside from the mental health stuff, I've had a very sort of up and down career, certainly in the early phases, you know, well, I had the normal story of being rejected um, loads and loads of times. Um, I think it probably, if you totted it up, it'd be over 50, 60 times in my, for my first novel of being rejected. Then I got foot, my foot through the door um, with an agent. Then it was another year before um, going in at lowest level with the sort of traditional publishing market. And I ha- wrote three books for my first publisher. Then I was dropped. Then I was sort of back up, back to square one again. And then um, I took um, the ball in my own hands, for whole, you know, and I I got a, quite resilient and just sort of kept on going and kept on going and kept on going and held on long enough. And yeah, it, 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 it slowly, I found the right publisher for me in the UK. It was very small, independent. Well, they're a big independent, but they're small compared to sort of the big publishers called Canongate and they've been brilliant for me and I've had almost in the last 10 years I've been with them I've had almost a old-fashioned type of career where you you start small and you grow which is quite kind of rare these days (laughs) because the paths seem to be you either start small and you sort of stay at a level or you start middle you stay at a level or you have those big we see it all the time you know people get six or seven figure deals and they get this big hyped debut thriller or whatever and then there's a lot of pressure for them to do this second you know they have this amazing hit and this amazing time and then it it, some of the momentum goes away with second and third book so i've been quite lucky that i've built been able to build under the radar Hmm. a readership you know what i mean and um you know at times it's been frustrating and i've been impatient and stuff like that but i feel like playing the long game it's 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 benefited me yeah so resilience adversity and kind of playing the long game and now uh three million books later um (laughs) earlier in the show i mentioned an invaluable resource for writers truth is the arrow mercy is the bow a diy manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing failing and trying again author steve almond is a beloved professor at harvard and wesleyan and the acclaimed new york times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join. 
to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. That's amazing. I mean, so the Midnight Library um, has been uh, number one in the UK. It was an instant irritized bestseller, of course. Good morning, America book club pick. No slouch there. Uh, and congratulations on the success of that. And it's and it's, it's a fascinating book. I think I want to talk about some of the some of the themes in the book. Of course, um, you know you've you cover some of these existential um, dilemmas that we all face. Of course, but. Um, yeah, um, let's talk about the Midnight Library, and, and of course, it's a book about a library between life and death, which I love the idea of. I think a lot of people resonate with that, but it, a look at um, regret, second chances, and kind of what makes life worth living. And um, you know, these are themes that you've, of course, talked about at length. But kind of talk about the genesis of this. Yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah. It's a long genesis. And I think actually, you know, even though I've written a lot of books, uh, when I think of the books that have sort of like struck a chord or, or done better than my others, it's often books that have been gestating for quite a while. Like I'd wanted to write a parallel life story, you know, almost as long as I've been a writer. It's just I never really had the hook or a reason, you know, because it's an overcrowded genre, really. It's certainly in film, but also in books, you can think of a lot of parallel life stories or alternative life stories. And I, 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 although it's always an idea that fascinated me, I thought, I don't have enough new to add to the mix here. Um, and it wasn't really until I got the concept of the library um, where I thought, okay, this, this could be worth doing because, A, I, I like libraries. I, you know, as a teenager, my sort of safe space was going to the library after school and not necessarily to read, but to just sort of like hang out and um, uh, do my homework or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, fe- I feel like libraries are the sort of, but sort of like portals anyway, you know, I think it, you know, it, it felt like a, a perfect metaphor for a parallel universe, because I suppose if you're in a space that's surrounded by books, then books are kind of our entry point to other worlds as close as we'll ever get to sort of living other lives. And, you know, a library is, is full of that. So I, I like that. I like that conceit. I, it still had kind of, um, it was, I think Stephen King in on writing, he always talks about, how there are two types of books. There are the books that kind of write themselves where everything flows and it's um, easy running and it, it it kind of happens on its own momentum. Or there's the other kind of book where you, you're kind of pushing a boulder up a hill and it's it's hard work and you don't know if you'll get there. And mm. the, the Midnight Library was kind of one of those ones. It was kind of hard because there were a lot of changes and it was great, you know, it's great having a high concept um, idea because you think, well, that's a great hook and it's a great high concept idea. But <laughs> but then you building story and character around it, that's actually, that's the tricky part. You know, often it's easier to start with a character and go that way. But with the Midnight Library, library I started with the concept and went from there, which was great in some ways because it made the book feel very sort of consistent with itself. And I, very, I knew from the outset what the theme was and all of that. Yeah. But... It, it had so many changes. Like the first draft, for instance, the central character, the central character in the book now is a, a 35-year-old female, Nora, and Nora Seed, and um, someone very overtly different to me. But the first draft, it was a male, male main character, hmm. uh, 40s, very similar to my position in life, very similar mental health history to me. And 
I just it just wasn't working. Uh, you just get a sense, I think, don't you, uh, when when something's not working. And one warning sign for me in my own writing, if I'm changing the name of a character a lot, I think I have not got this character. If, hmm. if, if, if so, he went. You know, he was Adam. He was Leo. He it was always different names. And I thought, <laughs> now the, the problem isn't the name. <laughs> the problem is the character. And I think it was almost too too close to myself you know like if you're staring at your face in the mirror too long and you never really know what you look like <laughs> it's, it was kind of like but he that was the mirror i was sort of like writing very realistic stuff that had applied to me but it just as a character it didn't work and i changed it to, to nora and i i deliberately i mean i suppose it's kind of like a spare book in some ways and that was I, I don't overtly, I don't do lengthy character descriptions. I mean, that's not my thing anyway. I'm quite a brief kind of writer. I'm into short chapters and, um, you know, I'll give a hint at someone's hair color or something, but I won't, I won't give you a lengthy um, detail of what someone looks like or, you know, their life story. Yeah. Uh, I, but somehow, as soon as I had the name Nora, as soon as I had, you know, her job and where she was living and a mental health, I kind of saw her in my head. Uh, as as a real person in a way that I hadn't before. So that's what gave the novel life to me. And that's what made me end up finishing the novel is I actually had um, someone I related to, but not too much. It wasn't like this person was me. And that Mm -hmm. that was the turning turning point with this book. Yeah, the library idea, um, obviously, the kind of the, the portal to other worlds. And I don't know, I mean, some of my favorite Instagram accounts are are kind of like what's known as like library porn they're just yeah. like they're just like famous libraries yeah. ar- around the world that are kind of otherworldly or kind of you know transport yes. you but um i've seen some of those yeah i love that idea um but yeah you talked about kind of writing as self-therapy and we've talked about this recently with other authors obviously a lot of people are kind of going through a, a similar situation just with you know kind of the malaise or the kind of this, what we call like the, the groundhog's day effect of the pandemic yeah. and how writing is, you know, kind of transportative in its own right. Yeah. But yeah, um, I want to talk kind of about, you know, wh- wh- where you go from here, what's next. I want to talk more, maybe more about your process and kind of like what, what the most prolific day for you kind of looks like as a writer. Yeah, that's, I'm, I, I need more of a routine, but I, I, I don't really have a routine that's consistent. For I, I'm very sort of like a swing between a lot of times of days and weeks and months of writing, not very much at all. You know, I'm, I'll still be thinking about novels. I'll still be writing the odd sentence here. I'll be researching. I'm in that phase at the moment, actually, when I'm not sort of um, doing promo stuff for Midnight Library. I'm just trying to get into the next novel idea and that i'm in that zone for quite a lot so even though people think of me as quite prolific and i write a lot of stuff um i feel like i have long patches of months where i i'm not actually writing that much but then that's counterbalanced by shorter periods where i'm writing a lot and where i don't have weekends and if i if i set some sort of deadline even if it's a very flexible penciled in deadline i'll always want to keep the deadline and i'll just like having something to work to and um even if it's a self-set deadline i think deadlines especially with novels because they're such you know they're such big beasts even my relatively (laughs) small novels i kind of 
you know, but, but, but longer than writing an essay. You know, I can remember being at a college at university, as we call it, and how much of an achievement it seemed to be to write like 2,500 words of an essay. And, you know, now that, you know, you, you can do that in a day now. I mean, I suppose a very good writing day for me would be writing about 5,000 words or something if I'm really in full flow. Now, a lot of those words won't make the final um, draft. Sure. But there's a sort of phase. I, I think with me, it's different, obviously, every writer. But with me, the best bit is first draft, but not the very start of the first draft where you don't know what's going on. But the the point where you've sort of passed the halfway way mark in the story you're kind of confident with the characters. You kind of know where you're going to end up. And you're in that three quarters of the way through. And often you can take a little tangent. Or you, when you surprise yourself, when things aren't too planned out, where you mm. know enough to, to be confident, um, I feel like certainly with, with fiction writing, the best bits for me, it's almost like you know fishing and you're on the, uh, you're on the bank of the river and something unexpected, you know, you, you catch a bigger fish and you realize the right. <laughs> and yeah, you weren't, you weren't expecting. So, so I suppose writing like any art form or any activity really done well is when you actually discover something about yourself mm. and you feel slightly bigger than you were because you didn't know that thing was there. So it's kind of like a, a journey into part of that dream world of imagination and um that's that's the stuff i i really like where you think ah this that's a good idea or, or you know and it sounds very self-indulgent because you're like oh yes clever me <laughs> I've, I've just I've, but it is it is fun you know being a human having an imagination and just sort of going somewhere and yeah so I, i'm one of those writers who actually likes first draft i, I i'm the sort of person who gets bored very easily so the editing process for me is, is when it really feels like work and a bit of a chore and when you're redrafting and certainly when the sort of official editor from a publisher gets involved and then you have the back and forth about which bits you know and i'm quite i find that kind of <laughs> stressful and I, I never know the balance between how much to trust my own judgment versus how much to trust the editor's judgment even though i've worked with this editor now for over 10 years there's still aspects where i think well he could be right or i could be right and i don't really know <laughs> but you know that's part of the process i suppose <laughs> so i'm a i'm a i'm generally a first draft person i think interesting interesting kind of uh riding the line there between <laughs> chaos entropy and um yes <laughs> exactly pan, pan, a pantser uh, yeah. so to speak, but yeah, no, that, the preparation and incubation phase makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you kind of lean into the, some of the procrastination piece, but you're hitting these, these long, longer sprints when you, um, have, uh, had esteem there. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your roi it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions that's wonder made possible learn more at evernorth.com wonder your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. But uh, yeah, so you're no stranger to kind of adaptations of your work. And um, of course, for the Midnight Library, I got a chance to listen to uh, some of the audiobook, which is uh, voiced by someone rather famous, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Is that right? That, yeah, that's ridiculous. I know. But, <laughs> um, yes. And I I think, you know, well, she recorded it in in when Britain was having its first lockdown um, last year. And because she's, uh, um, her partner's a musician, they've got a, like a home recording studio oh, that's at nice. their house. And I think like much of the world, I mean, well, the film industry had completely closed down and, so she might have had a few scripts to read or whatever, but like everyone else, she was uh, a lot of people. She was sort of twiddling her thumbs, and I think it came along <laughs> at the right moment. And um, yeah, serendipity, and no, very um, surreal. I'm also lucky that the people who publish me in the UK, um, there's a guy who runs it, Jamie Bing, who is a character to say the least, and he he he's the kind of person who knows a lot of people, and he he's quite shameless you know he'll, he'll just he'll just shoot <laughs> he'll, he'll he'll shoot for the stars you know he'll say oh yeah no problem benedict cumberbatch carry on we'll get them <laughs> we'll get the agent on the phone and you know it's been quite inspiring for me actually because so so often when you don't like get things in life it's often not that you've actually been stopped by some outside force it's just that you're you thought no i can't go up to that person or i can't ask that person and yeah. um he, he hasn't got any of that so he's sort of like this fearless person and he he, he he knows a lot of people and i'm i'm the opposite of that i i've never you know i never have the guts to sort of go up to new people or even email new people sometimes so it's great to have him on your side he'll say oh yeah i think carrie mulligan would be perfect and we worked with her once before two years ago and this that and the other and then and makes it happen. So that's great, especially as audiobooks um, seem to be, you know, they seem to be so important nowadays. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me more and more um, people are consuming books that way, whether it's the podcast era helping that or whatever. People are getting used to listening to content, aren't they? So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you've got someone who can do a good job of the audio adaptation, that really matters now. Yeah, amazing. Well, A Boy Called Christmas is being turned into a film that's going to be coming out um, holiday season 2021, which is pretty exciting. All-star cast there. Any interest in the Midnight Library for uh, adaptations yet? Or Yeah. I mean, the same company who are doing the children's book, A Boy Called Christmas, they've optioned it. And um, obviously that doesn't mean it will necessarily be a film. It just means they've got the rights to make the film. Right. Um, but I think because things are going quite well with a children's film that they're definitely wanting to make it and they're very serious about it i mean they're not the type of company who who buy up everything and be off chance i'll make some of it i think i think that they pretty much only take on things that they want to make um but that said it's the film world and the film world's uncertain at the best of times and you know we're obviously in a very sort of uncertain era in terms of film <laughs> yeah. so we we will we'll we'll see but um i'm i'm just i've learned that it's often best to go with people you know, you know, or you have contact with, uh, um, and you know, they've done such a good job with, um, my children's book, a boy called Christmas that I just thought, yeah, let's, let's just go with them and see what happens. So 
it's a watch the space situation but yeah a boy called christmas that will be out on netflix um christmas time well um before we wrap up here with your advice to your fellow scribes and just how to how to persevere during hard times um i will just mention the midnight library out in paperback now a feel-good book guaranteed to lift your spirits said the washington post of course the blurbs um, fill up like two pages here. So I, I mean, I could go on and on. I could probably spend an entire show just reading the, uh, the reviews and the blurbs, but, um, pretty amazing praise for the book. Congrats on that. And, uh, yeah. Um, what's next for you? Are you fiction, nonfiction, or just kind of percolating? Um, well, I have a finished. What I wrote last year was a, a very, uh, short nonfiction book called the comfort book, which is very much, does what it says on the tin, you know, it's, it's, it's anything that comforts me. So there's lots of quotations in there. There's lots of, um, stuff about films or books that comfort me. There's, uh, some ancient Greek philosophy in there. It, it's totally non-linear. It felt so freeing to write something that isn't structured in any conventional way. It's one of those books that you can kind of dip in at page 65 cool. or 120. And, um, you know, that's probably not going to be the same sort of, have the same, um, sort of, big pushes something like the midnight library but it was really fun um to write and uh th that's coming out later this year both in, in my side of the atlantic and yours and um other than that yeah fiction basically i'm trying to I come up with a new novel idea for adults and uh, it's it's I, i've had for the first time in my life something that resembles writer's block but i don't really mm. get writer's block it's more like writer's total indecision so that <laughs> I have things to write, but I just, you know, it, it's like I never know. I don't have a gauge in my head at the very early stage of, yeah. of how good how good they are. You know, it's just like okay. I have to. It's a really annoying thing because it would be so <laughs> nice to instantly dismiss it rather than dismiss it after you've written ten thousand words or whatever. And you think, <laughs> oh, no, that's not right. so Writer's I'm in that phase. I, I think I've turned the corner, but it's still early days. So we will see. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to point at matthag.com. And of course, you're on Twitter, Instagram, and all the places. I'll put all the links in the show notes. One pearl of wisdom for your fellow scribes on just how to keep going. I think this might be a cliche and a bit corny, but I, I genuinely think the only reader you're ever going to know is um, yourself. Like I, I can remember like getting advice early on um, from book industry people and from agents and in rejection letters and stuff. And I always talked about the market and researching the market and knowing this or, you know, knowing about you know your favorite genre and all of that stuff you know it's got value to it as well but you know we're not mind readers the only person the only reader you're ever going to know truly know um honestly know is yourself you're only going to know your own taste so you you have to sort of develop i think a trust in yourself that doesn't mean you have to be sort of like arrogant about it or not listen to advice from editors or agents and stuff like that because you have to take on board all of that stuff but what it's more about not trying to second guess not trying to write something because you think it's right for someone else you have to write literally the book you would want to read in that moment i think i think that's the only way to be entirely true and it doesn't mean everyone's going to like it you know not everyone likes the midnight library uh, you know you only need to if you truly like it you will find other people who it speaks to as well and i think i think that that's ultimately it because i that's the bit i struggled with for a while because i'm like i'm a people pleaser i like to sort <laughs> of like be validated and have like you know approval and uh, everyone uh, 
like me and stuff like that. And actually, it, that's not so important with the world of books. You know, there are, there are millions of books out there. If you want to make your mark in the world of books, you don't have to write the book that everybody's going to like or, you know, have universal acclaim. You have to write a book that just connects with some people and, and can, you know, hopefully connects it with them in a big way. And then your readership can sort of expand um, from there and to sort of like do your own thing, uh, express yourself in your own way and be honest um, to yourself. So yeah, that's my corny bit of writerly advice. <laughs> well, I don't think it's corny. I think it's a brilliant way to end the show. We appreciate your time and wisdom and uh, please come back and visit us again. Thank you, Kelton. That was a pleasure and a joy. Thank you. A conversation about rain. Nineteen years before she decided to die, Nora Seed sat in the warmth of the small library at Hazeldean School in the town of Bedford. She sat at a low table staring at a chessboard. Nora, dear, it's natural to worry about your future, said the librarian, Mrs. Elm, her eyes twinkling. Mrs. Elm made her first move, a knight hopping over the neat row of white pawns. Of course you're going to be worried about the exams. But you could be anything you want to be, Nora. Think of all that possibility. It's exciting. Yes, I suppose it is. A whole life in front of you. A whole life. You could do anything. Live anywhere. Somewhere a bit less cold and wet. Nora pushed a pawn forward two spaces. It was hard not to compare Mrs. Elm to her mother, who treated Nora like a mistake in need of correction. For instance, when she was a baby, her mother had been so worried Nora's left ear stuck out more than her right that she'd used sticky tape to address the situation, then disguised it beneath a woolen bonnet. I hate the cold and wet, added Mrs. Elm for emphasis. Mrs. Elm had short grey hair and a kind and mildly crinkled oval face, sitting pale above her turtle green polo neck. She was quite old, but she was also the person most on Nora's wavelength in the entire school. And even on days when it wasn't raining, she would spend her afternoon break in the small library. Coldness and wetness don't always go together, Nora told her. Antarctica is the driest continent on Earth. Technically, it's a desert. Well, that sounds up your street. I don't think it's far enough away. Well, maybe you should be an astronaut. Travel the galaxy. Nora smiled. The rain is even worse on other planets. Worse than Bedfordshire. On Venus, it is pure acid. Mrs. Elm pulled a paper tissue from her sleeve and delicately blew her nose. See? With a brain like yours, you can do anything. A blonde boy Nora recognised from a couple of years below her ran past outside the rain-speckled window, either chasing someone or being chased. Since her brother had left, she'd felt a bit unguarded out there. The library was a little shelter of civilization. Dad thinks I've thrown everything away. Now I've stopped swimming. Well, far be it from me to say that there is more to this world than swimming really fast. There are many different possible lives ahead of you. Like I said last week, you could be a glaciologist. 
I've been researching, and the... And it was then that the phone rang. One minute, said Mrs. Elm softly. I'd better get that. A moment later, Nora watched Mrs. Elm on the phone. Yes, she's here now. The librarian's face fell in shock. She turned away from Nora, but her words were audible across the hushed room. Oh, no. No. Oh, my God. Of course. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.